Hey, all the good people at Messiah. Good to see you today. Uh, my name is Paul Schultz, and I was one of the pastors at Messiah from 1998 to 2016 for 18 years. We served at Messiah, raised our five kids there in St. Charles, and we just love Messiah and all the great people of Messiah. So I'm coming to you on, as you're celebrating your 35th anniversary, which is an amazing. Congratulations on 35 years of ministry in St. Charles County. Um, God's hand of blessing has sure been upon uh, the people of Messiah. And uh, we love you and want to encourage you and say, those have been um, 35 years of God's blessings. And as you look forward in the future, um, know that you're in our prayers all the time. And we not wish you nothing but God's blessings as you continue to carry out the mission of Jesus in uh, St. Charles County. And uh, as I think about the future for you, um, Pastor Chuck asked me to think a little bit about what would, in my dreams, what would it be for Messiah and for the church at large and for every church that we serve. And so I just had a couple thoughts around there. One of those is just your continued passion for people who don't know Jesus. Right? There's people all around us who don't know their savior. And more and more in today's world, those people are not gonna walk into the doors of a church to encounter Jesus. It's gonna happen more and more in today's world because God's people are going out and sharing the hope of Jesus in their day-to-day -day lives. And so I hope that continues to be your heartbeat day in and day out is to constantly be reminded that there are many people all around you who don't know the hope of Jesus. Another thing that I hope for your future is your continued focus on the next generation. Um, you're celebrating 35 years. Um, the average life cycle of a church in America is 40 years. And the reason it stops often at 40 years is because people don't hand the church to the next generation. So I just hope and pray that you'll continue to keep doing that, raising up the next generation. And a big part of that is the school ministry of Messiah. So my hope is that the school ministry of Messiah continues to thrive and be healthy and strong and blessed, and that you continue to welcome kids and families, many who know Jesus, but many who don't, and that you'll continue that great ministry. And the last thing I'd, I'd hope for you and for Messiah's future is unity. That was the last thing Jesus prayed for his church, to you be united in the mission that Jesus has given us, united in the message of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing when God's people walk united in the mission that Jesus has given to us. So that's my hope for you. It's my prayer for you as we celebrate with you. God's blessings, Messiah, and continue the great work into the future. That, that really was wonderful. That is awesome. Paul's message uh, certainly is, is great. But um, the cinematography, wow! I mean, it's so picturesque and um, uh, excellent camera work, if I don't say so myself. Um, yeah, it was, it was I who kind of re recorded uh, Pastor Schultz giving that wonderful word of encouragement while we were, uh, and 35 of our, our friends from Messiah were in Germany just over a little uh, about a month ago. And what a fantastic experience we had. It was uh, really a, a trip of a lifetime, and I enjoyed myself to the max. It was just great. About 22 years ago, I, I heard or read about this uh, little town in Germany called Obergammerau, and they perform a passion play every 10 years. And they've been doing this since like the 1600s. Uh, the, the story goes that it was a time of the bubonic plague, and they kind of made a deal with God, I guess, and that if he would spare their town, they would put on the worst week of Jesus' life, uh, you know, every 10 years, you know. And they've been doing this for like the, the 1600s. And uh, 
And so it's, it's five hours long. It's all in German, um, which, uh, you know, I really don't understand. But it was uh, emotional. It was meaningful. Um, it was really something. Now, uh, interestingly enough, the day before, that was the complete opposite. Uh, because we were in Munich at the Oktoberfest. And that was a blast. That was crazy. It was crazy. It wasn't stupid crazy, okay? It's not maybe as crazy as you think, but it was fun. There was singing and dancing and, and lederhosen and beer and brats. And these are a few of my favorite things. And speaking of brats, did you know, get this. You can get sausage from a vending machine. I love Germany. I love it. I love it. But my favorite part, my favorite part of the whole deal, really, was, uh, was getting to see all the Luther stuff. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, I am a total Luther geek. Look at my face. I'm like, Because <laughs> um, I got the opportunity to see all, this, all these places and these things that, you know, I've been reading about and looking about since I was a little kid, really. Um, so it was a big deal for me to see these, uh, these places. And uh, here's a picture of Luther's room when he was a monk. And uh, he was trying to, you know, figure out how to get right with God. And he tried to earn it. He, you know, he worked hard. He sacrificed. And he suffered. And he, he thought this was the way. But it didn't work. Now, this one is uh, at the altar where Luther consecrated the Lord's Supper for the first time. And he just about completely, you know, freaked out. He was so nervous handling the... The elements, he just about wet his pants because Luther grew up being afraid of God. And that, and that makes sense. He had good reason for that because at the time, medieval theologians presented a very different version of Christ. For example, this is this commonly taught this, that yes, Jesus died for your sins and he's completely ticked off about it. Unfortunately, in the fall of 1516, uh, Luther was teaching through the book of Romans at the University of Wittenberg, and he came across this scripture, the righteous will live by faith. This was his tipping point. This was the big aha moment. It was a thunderbolt to the heart, and he said, this passage of Paul became to me the gate of heaven. This rediscovery of a simple truth by faith alone became the rallying cry of the Reformation. And Luther wanted to talk about this with the church leaders and the academics of his day. And he said, let's discuss this. Let's, let's debate this good news because if Romans 1.17 is true, then we're doing it all wrong. And so he nailed up 95 theses or discussion arguments to the community bulletin board, which was the door of the church. Now, this is not the original church door, but it's the same church. It's the same place. And thanks to a new invention called the printing press, the, the word got out. And it didn't take long before the church at Rome to get really mad. And Luther was excommunicated, kind of like, you know, John Wick, excommunicado, you know. And so he's on the run, and uh, he hides out here then at the castle of Wartburg. And he had to hide for his life because he was a religious outlaw. And while he was there hiding out, he made really good use of his time. It was uh, in this room here that Luther translated the Latin version of the Bible into German, which was also against the law to do that kind of a thing. 
but he wanted to have it in the language of the people so that regular, ordinary folks could read God's word for themselves. And then finally, years, years later, uh, here's a little sitting area outside of his home occupied by our very own Pastor Bill and Mary Lou, which she's singing today. And, uh, but this is where Martin and uh, his wife, Katie, sat, and they would, you know, watch their kids and that kind of a thing. So it was so good to go. Wow. So good to go to Germany. But it's so good to be back, back home at Messiah. As mentioned today, we're wrapping up a little series uh, celebrating 35 years. This is our story. And this morning, I would like to take our story back even farther than 35 years. I'd like to go about 500 years back to the time of the Reformation. I think this is really important, and it most definitely applies to us in 2022, because the question that Luther wrestled with is the same question that people are still wrestling with today. The question is about salvation. Salvation. Am I saved? How am I saved? What does the word saved even mean? What does the word saved mean to you? If you're not 100% clear, you're in good company. Uh, recently, an informal study was done asking just one question. What are you saved from? And only one in 10, including regular churchgoers, could answer that question with any accuracy or with any confidence at all. And many more studies confirm this. In a Barna Group report on issues about salvation, Christians from across all denominations proved to be sorely lacking in this very basic understanding of salvation that Martin Luther gave his life for, which is we are justified by grace through faith. Now, that term justified, we just don't use that one hardly anymore, and that's too bad uh, because it's a great word, justified. It's a legal term. And it involves more than just forgiveness. To justify means to not only clear someone of their wrongdoing, it also declares them to be righteous, like in the right. This is the good news that Luther uncovered, that we are justified. We're in the right even. By grace, through faith. And of course, this is not from Luther. This is from God's word. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. That's grace. It's a gift. And it's given to those who don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It is a gift given to those who can't earn it who don't deserve it. God, the perfect gift giver, gives grace to those who are unworthy of it. But for a long, long, long time, Luther didn't get that. And Lutherans today still don't get it. Over 6,000 Lutherans were asked, can a good person earn their way to heaven? That is the question. To the Lutherans, can a good person earn their way to heaven? 54% of Lutherans said yes. 
Ach du lieber. Okay, I do know one German phrase, which is an explanation of surprise or frustration. Ach du lieber. Here's another question. If all you did was love people, can you be justified before God? Nearly half of all Lutherans said yes. Now, of course, loving other people, that is a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus wants us to do it. But loving other people does not save you. Because then you're the savior, aren't you, by doing good things? It doesn't work. One more question to the Lutherans. Is the main point of the gospel about God's rules for right living, how to live a good life? Over 60% of Lutherans said yes. Do I got to say it? Yeah, I got to say it. This should be a wake-up call because if we're going to share our faith with the next generation, if we're going to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those in St. Charles, then we've got to get the story straight. We've got to get the gospel. We need to get a firm grip on the gospel of grace. So let's go back even further. The time of St. Paul, Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, God's law, It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, no one can claim that they can keep the law of God. It shuts everybody up. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing or keeping the law or trying to keep the law. Rather, through the law, here's the point of the law, we become aware or conscious of sin. Translation, the law shows us our sin, but it can't save us. The law doesn't save us. That's the bad news. Okay, here's the good news. But now, a righteousness from God. This is God's righteousness, his holiness, his perfection from him, not from ourselves, from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the Old Testament um, testifies. This righteousness, this rightness, God's holiness from God comes to us as a free, free gift. And we get it through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference all have sinned. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. Ha And are justified. There's that word. Justified freely. Declared of wrongdoing and declared righteous. Justified freely by his grace, his kindness to us. Through, how did it come? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, right? On the cross. So, so yeah, reality check, we still sin. Yeah, we get it. That's true, sad but true. But we are justified. We are made right, saved by faith in Christ Jesus, saved from sin. Not, not the 
ability to sin, but the punishment for sin. We are saved from death, eternal death. Instead, we get eternal life. We are saved from hell. We are saved from the devil. For we maintain that a man, woman, children too, mankind, is justified by faith apart from observing the law. This is our story. And this is a box of cake mix. Now, I don't know much about making a cake, but I know a lot about eating cake. However, there's a story from a Max Lucado book that has a very interesting take on a box of cake mix. He writes this, a large American food company released the perfect cake mix, required no ingredients, no additives, no eggs, no sugar, just mix some water with some powder, you pop it in a pan, put it in the oven, presto, you've got yourself a cake, all right. One problem, however, nobody bought the stuff. Nobody bought it. And so the cake mix people, they tried to figure out why, and they surveyed a bunch of folks, and, and they found the answer. And so they went back to the drawing board, and they made one little change. The new instructions now read, simply add three eggs. And the sales went through the roof. Why are we like that? <laughs> what makes us want to add something that's already complete? Okay, it's really not a big deal when it comes to, you know, cake mix, making a cake. But it's a very big deal when it comes to our faith. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is pure Grace, no need to add anything to it. The work of Christ is complete. It is finished. And the moment that we add something to it, the moment we add to what Jesus has already done, it's no longer grace. It's no longer free gift of God. It's legalism is what it is. And, and legalism is basically getting God to like you more by avoiding bad things and, you know, trying to do more good things and, you know, kind of earn it. And on the surface, I guess it looks, you know, harmless enough, but it's poison. It's poison. Legalism just about killed Luther. He'd wake up every morning at 2 to begin the, the first of seven prayer cycles. His confessions lasted up to six hours at a crack. He would scourge his own back with a whip in order to show God how sorry he was for his sins. He would often fast three days on end without a drop of water, without a crumb of any food. Luther said of himself, I was a good monk. And I kept the order so strictly that I will say this, that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. But for all of his slavering, all of his starving, all of his striving, it did him no good. How could he be sure he did enough? Could he have done seven hours of confession instead of six? What if he left something out of the confession? Uh, could he have been more sincere? Was his whole heart in it? 
you know, these, these questions. What he discovered is that for all of his actions, for all of his actions on the outside, it didn't change who he was on the inside. Inwardly, he was still greedy. He was still lustful. He was still selfish. Inwardly, he was still sinful. He had no peace, no joy, no confidence, no assurance of salvation. No, yeah, no confidence that what he did was ever good enough for God. And, and that's the problem with legalism. It doesn't end. You never know. That's the problem when we add something to the gospel. So Messiah, it's absolutely critical, absolutely critical that we get the gospel straight because it is the one thing that we've got to get straight. It's the only thing we've got to share. It's the thing. And it's the only thing that's going to carry us for the next 35 years. It's the gospel. Tim Keller has a great way of putting it. He says, the Christian gospel says that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. And yet I am so loved and I am so valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. And that's good news. And if anybody needs it, it's the next generation. If anybody needs it, it's St. Charles County. If anybody needs it, let me tell you, it's you. It's me. We need the gospel of grace. You see, a happy saint, a contented saint, a saint that is joy of heart, you know, someone who is secure, uh, on an at-peace Christian, you know, that is someone who is fully aware, fully aware of the seriousness of sin, and at the same time is fully aware of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, sin, it's not diminished. It doesn't, we, don't, we don't wink at it. It's still ugh, ugly, gross. But at the same time, oh, we have God's ability to forgive it. Yeah, it's about grace. I caught it uh, in Germany. Oh, for sure, it came to me loud and clear at the Passion Play, unavoidable there. What our Lord went through, just to have us, to save us from sin, hell, death, the devil. Whoa, his grace is amazing. It's really hard to put into words, you know. <laughs> But I saw it for myself in Obergamoral, and but, but there was another place, too. Get this. Not as obvious as the Passion Play, but it also struck me the day before at the Oktoberfest. Because it was really great. Because we were all the same. You know, they're just a bunch of goofballs and goobers from different countries, you know. They all come in. And the point is just celebrate. Eat all you want. You know what I mean? Have a good time. 
is a foretaste of what is to come. But for a few minutes anyway, I, I kind of was thinking about the church. I, I thought about, I, kind of question hit me, which was, uh, what about grace on tap? I, I was like, you know, thinking of a bar and I could open or something. I don't know what I was doing, but grace on tap. I just love it. Or maybe for a church, you put it outside on the, on the wall or something. Messiah, Lutheran, grace on tap, you know. I'm like, yeah, we might catch a few that way. But that's not how it works. It works by word of mouth, by people, not by advertising and trickery. But, I, you know, I thought, you know what? We do have it, though. We do. It's Jesus. He says it to you. He says it to me, all of us. He says it to the brokenhearted among us. Those who are left out, those who are anxious, those who are prideful, the lustful, the angry, the reckless, the lazy, he says, come to me and receive grace. The body of Christ for you. The blood of Christ for you. Grace on tap is what it is. Let's celebrate it, and we shall, but I also want to point out one beautiful thing, not one more beautiful thing. Uh, today, if you don't know, it's All Saints Sunday. Uh, today is the day we, uh, we remember those who have gone before us in the faith. St. Paul, Martin Luther, I think of some of the departed saints of Messiah. Um, Joe and Carol Albaugh, they used to sit right there. Deb, Greg Koenig used to be on the praise team. Don Wehmeyer, Pat Schumacher, Dale Dickman, he used to sit over there in the last row. Good Lutheran, last row. <laughs> Margie Schlinker, oh, wow, you know. And, 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 uh, boy, you're, you're thinking of someone, aren't you? Yeah. Spouse, maybe? Mom or dad? Grandparent? Maybe a friend? Christian friend, you know, somebody you miss. Christian saints. And they're with the Lord, and that's very good. And we'll see them again, right? But still. But still. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why communion is so special. Because not only is it grace on tap, today we also tap into the communion of the saints. If you don't know, you already confessed it this morning in the words of the Apostles' Creed at the end there. I believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin. See, while we live on earth, the closest that we ever get to heaven is when we receive our Savior's body and his blood. And it is in the eating and in the drinking that we are with the Lord and he is with us, in us actually. You think of it, we are with him, he is with us, and we are also with one another as the body of Christ. And what's more, we are also joining with the saints of heaven at that point because they are with the Lord as well. 
And so in a sense then, for just a moment then, we are with our loved ones too. That we're all connected to Christ. And I can think of no better way than to close our message series on celebrating 35 years of ministry and blessings at Messiah than to continue celebrating what Jesus has done and now is doing through the communion that we share, uniting us in faith in Christ alone. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ.